Okay, good morning, Shavua Tov. Today's daf is daf Chav Ches. Today's shir is Le'ilu Nishmas Tzvi Ben Chaim and Chana Rivka Bas Fevel and Shlomo Ben Aaron. May their neshamas have an aliyah, may their memory be a blessing. Um, today's shir is also um, for a Shlomo of Yitzchak Yehuda Ben um, Miriam. They have a complete and speedy recovery. Okay, so the Gemara, I mean, as we know from the start of the Perek, we went, we were discussing Malim Vakodesh, um, when you sell something that is holy, you have to use the money for something that is of greater holiness. As we said, it's a discussion of equal holiness that's debated um, in yesterday's stuff. But um, it then moved on to the general way that we treat the Kedusha of a shul. And we then moved on, to, and once we mentioned that, um, um, we also mentioned some, uh, like, being careful when you daven or where you daven um, not to urinate there or to distance yourself from dirty things while davening um, and because of that the Gemara then asked if, like um, it was discussing it, it brought up um, students asked Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai why did he merit long life and he said the reason is because I was very careful to, well, one of the reasons he gave, and I'm not going to go through all of them now, one of the reasons he gave is that he was careful not to urinate within Dalit Amos of where he davened. Again, that was even in a temporary place where he davened. For example, he was traveling and then he finished davening. He would be careful to wait a little bit before he urinated or the other way around. And that was, again, the discussion of yesterday's daf. And because of that, we're now discussing at a whole lot of different sages and what they what, what they attributed their long life to. Um, it's uh, it's interesting to note. I remember my grandfather has a shear on the general concept of this. He says sometimes you ask someone why they merited something good, why they merited a bracha in their life, or here these Talmudim are asking their Rabbim why they merited long life, and people shy away from it, saying, you know, we don't discuss bracha, and horror, we don't, you know, we don't discuss it, they don't want to discuss their bracha. And my grandfather said, based on this Gemara, it's actually important to, when there is bracha in your life, to recognize it, besides so that you can praise Hashem, so that you can carry on, um, you can learn from what you're doing, and what's bringing the bracha into your life. And that's a, it's a guideline, a, a, what's it, it's, yeah, it's a signpost of what you're doing in your life. Is it, is it, is what no, you're doing? breaking up, we can't hear you. Sorry, um, let me just see. Life, see where it's coming from. And, uh, so you can uh, continue in those acts and so that you can um, use it as a signpost for what you're doing is correct. So he said very importantly that it's not, you mustn't uh, dismiss and not engage as why you get bracha and good in your life. You must actually think about it, analyze it and try to perpetuate those actions. Yes, Dennis. Rav, how old did these Rabbonim get when they call it long life? Um, was it 70, 80 or was it 120? I'm, I'm not sure offhand. We can look, look uh, we can check up each one. I, I just don't know offhand. It's a good question. Please, uh, I'll try after okay. Sheer look it up and let you know. Okay. I just... Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how old they live to. Um, so let's go from the third last line. It's not the first one, but it's uh, one of the 
earlier one, third last line of Chavzan on base, 27b. Shalot Tamidovus Rebbe Elazo ben Shamua. The students asked Rebbe Elazo ben Shamua, Bamah Arachto Yamim. What did you do to merit long life? So Amar Lahem. And we see that the Tamidai Chachomim had had ready answers. It wasn't like they tried to avoid the question. It wasn't like, oh, let me think about it and get back to you. They had ready answers. They lived lives where they were conscious and in tune with what, how their acts affected how their day was going, how their year was going, and how their life was going. Again, I think it's a very high level, but it is something to be aware of, that there is such a concept, and it is something we should be striving for. So the students asked him, what did you do to Mered Long? So Omar Lohem, he said to them, I never ever used the shul as a shortcut. And I didn't walk over the heads of the holy nation. They explain that is, remember the, the Rebbe used to sit on a bench or chair and the Tamilim used to sit on the floor. So if he had to walk to his place, it looked like he was walking over everyone's head. So he was very careful to do it in a way that it didn't look like he was standing on the heads of B'nai Yisrael, in a, which is slightly disrespectful. And I never did Birkas Kohanim without a bracha. Um... Now, just on this first one is, what do you mean? He says, I, I merit it. It's, we kind of expect them to be pious practices, not obligations. Um, and he says, I never made a shul a shortcut. I never used the shul as a shortcut. But that, as we know, is it's forbidden to use a shul as a shortcut. It's not a good practice. It's also. So how? Uh, so what's uh, the explanation there? So some say, even in scenarios where it might be okay, to use the shul as a shortcut. Um, I guess, for example, you go into shul in one door and you daven and then you go out the door on the opposite end. There's nothing wrong with that. You haven't used it as a shul- shortcut. Or as we're going to see later, there's a way if you need, what happens if you need to go just cut into shul to call someone for your personal needs? I'm not for not for something uh, of sanctity. How do you do that? So it would be along those lines. Even in those cases, he was careful to treat the shul with respect and leave no doubt that it was used as a shortcut. Um, similarly, Birkas Kohanim, what's this referring to? Um, um, every Kohen says Birkas Kohanim with a bracha. So what does it mean? He was very careful to always say Birkas Kohanim with a bracha. Okay, I'm not sure of a good answer to that question, but um, that is... Uh, that's I'm not sure what the special when when did you hear a kahe nuduchen in shul duchen without a bracha? Okay, Shalut Tamidus says Rebbe Prada b'mar after Yomim. The students asked Rebbe Prada, "What did you do to deserve long life?" So Amar Lahem mi yomai my whole life lo kadamti adam lebeis hamedrash. No one ever beat me to shul or to the to the yeshiva. Ve'loy birchaisi lifnei kahe and I never did birchas hamazon before kahe. So just what are these? So obviously the merit of always getting early to shul. And the second one of Birchas Hamazon, remember how they used to bench. I mean, it's similar to what we would call leading the benching. Their leading of the benching was more significant because when they had a Mazuman, one person would bench aloud on behalf of everyone. And they would just listen carefully and answer Amen. We don't do that because we know that we'll get distracted and we won't listen to the brachas carefully, so we each bend for ourselves. But there is still a leader of benching. Now there's a halacha that it says regarding Aaron, v'kidash to, and you shall sanctify him. So the Gemara learns out that you give kohanim precedence in matters to do with holiness. And that's why, for example, we give a kohen the first aliyah. 
and here we're saying we give the Kohen the first opportunity to bench. So that's uh, um, so that's the that's what he was saying. Yeah, I would never bench before Kohen. Um, so that's the one point. Then he carries on with what he did to merit long life. He says, I never ate from an animal whose gifts had not been separated. I'll explain what that is shortly. Rabbi Yitzchak said the name of Rabbi Yitzchak that you should not eat from an animal whose gifts had not been separated. Someone who eats from an animal that has, whose gifts have not been separated is as if he's eating tevil. But the halacha is not like that. Remember, we know that there's certain gifts we give to a kohen. In the field, we know we give trumas and masros. Now, in an animal, you're supposed to separate the zroi lechaim and the keva, the, the forearm, the cheek, and the one stomach, and give it to the kohen. Now, we know with grain, until you've separated the gifts and given them to the kohen, the whole pile of grain that you have you're not allowed to eat it's what's called tevil it's actually a very severe issue to eat tevil um but with an animal before you've separated the gifts it's not as severe we um the one uh, um sorry, yeah um to i think there are two reasons one is Firstly, truma, if you eat truma, is not allowed to be eaten by a non-kohen. The Zohar, the Lekeva, and the Lechaim, once they're given to the kohen, then anyone can eat them. He can, invite you, he can invite you over and have you. He can sell them. He can do what he wants with them. And they don't have, so they don't have like an int- intrinsic level of Kedusha like truma. And secondly, they're also not mixed in. When you have a pile of grain and some of it, and it's tevil, you have the truma mixed in. Theoretically, every grain of Every um, kernel of grain, every every part of it is a little bit truma and a little bit chulin. So it's all mixed together. It's all tevil, whereas here they're distinct. So therefore, we pass in that you can still eat from the meat, even if the gifts have not been given. But Rebbe Prater was very careful to not. Um, now the Gemara is just going to analyze the one that we said, I never ever said Birchas Hamazon when there was a Kohen and I gave, it the, I gave the honor to the Kohen. He says, You're telling me that's a good thing? That Rabbi Prader always gave first rights to bench to the Kohen. He says, The fun of Afilu Kohen Godol If you have a Talmud Chochem who allows a Kohen, even if it's the Kohen Godel, but he's an Amoretz to bench first, he's liable to death. Shneemar as the Pasuk says, call me Sanai of Amovis. All those who hate me love death. I'll take Sanai, don't leave those who hate me. Elam Masini, Masni'i, those who cause people to hate me. If you have a Talmud Chochem conceding honor to an Amoretz, even if he's a Kohen, he's kind of showing that you know what, he's not such a big deal. It's not worth honoring him and the Torah. So he degrades the Torah in the eyes of people, because people think, oh, so look, he's a Tamil Chochem, it's not such a big deal, much rather be a Kohen, much rather be some other prestigious position, um, and therefore degrades the Torah. So how could Rabbi Prader, who was a great Tamil Chochem, allow another person 
to uh, um, allow another person to another another kohen to bench before him. So Kikomarhiubashovin. No, where Rabbi Prater said he always gave it to the Kohen is where he was equal. They seem to explain not literally equal, but also Talmud Chacham. So Rabbi Prater, you're right, Rabbi Prater would not let a Kohen Amoretz lead the benching. But if there was another Talmud Chacham, even though not, who was a Kohen, even though not as great a Talmud Chacham, he would let them bench first. Um, that's how Tosos explained it. Just one interesting question that they, that's asked on this, um, Tosos asked on this on the previous page, he says, so they asked Rabbi Prater, what did you do to merit long life? And he gave these three reasons. I always went to the base of Medrash first. I never blessed before a coin and I never ate from an animal whose gifts had not been separated. Now we've, dis- we've explained each of those. But he also says, Kasha. It's Tosos at the bottom of Chav Zainam with base. It says, Kasha. The other Rabbi it was in the merit. We know the famous story with Rabbi Prater when he taught the student 400 times. He had that one student to who loved learning, but it took him a long time to absorb the material, and Rabbi Prater spent the time and patience with him, teaching it to him 400 times. The Yatsa Baskol, and the Nofak Baskol, the Omar Noah Deliski Kuli Dariela Alma Taasi. Would you prefer, in your merit, would you prefer that everyone gets Olam Haba, your whole generation, or that you live 400 years, you live a long time? So Omar HaKadosh Baruch and then he, so he said, uh, you know what, give everyone Olam Haba, and Omar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and Hashem said, give both of them. Aye, so the reason, we know the reason that Rabbi Prater had long life, and that's because of this bus call that came out, it said, in merit of teaching that student 400 times and the extra time and effort you put into him, you deserve long life. Um, uh, well, you can choose your reward, and he chose Olam Haba, and then Hashem said, you're not actually giving both, give him long life as well. So we know the reason, it's not because of these. So what does he say? So in truth, Tosas give a fascinating answer. Tosas says, because that bus call all happened later on, when the Talmudim, he was already elderly. I'm not sure how old, but he was already elderly. And the Talmudim asked him, what have you done to deserve long life? And these are the reasons he gave. And then later on, the incident with the bus call came in and we realized what the, what the real reason that he got long life. But these are the reasons he thought he got long life or that he lived a long life up until he got that extension. So that's, uh, I just thought, an interesting question. And something to be aware and notice is a lot of these things while they merited long life is almost what we would view as a sacrifice of our time. For example, to make sure to be the first one in the base medrash. He's giving up from his time, from his sleep, from his uh, personal activities to make sure to be at shul or at yeshiva extra early. So you can see the midah-connected midah there. The others, um, birchas hamazon, well that we know is always brocha, is tied to long life. Um, this true matnos, um, not eating from an animal, I'm not so clear, but something to look out in all the examples, we, in all the different sages we speak to, what um, some of them definitely have to do with time. The students asked Rabbi Nechunia ben Akana, what did you do to merit long life? So Omar Lohemi said to them, I never gained honor from the, it seems the, Downfall, the shame, or the degradation of one of my colleagues. The law also almitasi klilas chavri, and I never got into bed with the curse of my friend. That uh, we'll see means he never got into bed without forgiving people who had upset him. 
um, uh, Vatra, and then what was the third one? Vatra and Bamamoini Hoyisi. I was uh, not so particular with my money. Now it's going to explain them. Similar to what Rav Huna says. Dore Mara Katfe. Um, Rav Huna was carrying something, a spade on his shoulders, and Rav Chanan Bar Chanilai came and said, let me carry it for you. Rav Chanan Bar Chanilai wanted to honor the great Rav Huna and said, let me carry it for you. So, Look, if you would normally carry a spade around your own town, well, then you can carry the spade. If not, what I'm going to get. Uh, honor through your de- degradation. I don't want such a thing. So that explains, that's, the, that's what we mean by even, again, here we're not talking about insulting people going out your way, you know, when you push someone down. Yeah, it was just one of his students, again, not, not this rabbi, but the example of what we're talking about, is one of the students offered Rav Huna to carry something a bit lowly for him, and he said, look, would you carry that in your own town? Um, that's, and if you wouldn't, well, I don't want you to down. Give up on your honor for my honor. What does he mean when he said, I didn't ever go into my bed, get into bed with a curse on my friends? When he would get into bed, when he was going to sleep, and I forgive everyone who has pained me. So that's, uh, there is, I don't know if you've noticed in Kriyat Shmalamita, one of the extra paragraphs there is saying a statement of forgiving everyone who's harmed you that day. Um, interesting idea, something to think, who's upset you during the day, something to think about. Then it says, Vatron by my money, I see. I was uh, not particular with my money. The Oba Mar, Eov Vatron by my money, however, as Mar said, Eov was um, a Vatron with his money. Shehoyomeniach Pruta lechenvoni mimamoina. He would often leave a Pruta for the shopkeeper from his own money. I, he, would, he would leave tips. He was generous with his money. He would leave a tip. That seems uh, what he's saying. Vatron b'mamona. Shor Rabbi Akiva es Rabbi Nochunya Hagodol. Rabbi Akiva asks Rabbi Nochunya Hagodol. B'marach to Yomim. What did you do to deserve long life? So asu gamzei v'kom ochulei. The stu- the servants of Rabbi Nochunya came and started beating up Rabbi Akiva. Um, they assumed that Rabbi Akiva resented Rabbi Nochunya's long life. He's like, what did you do to deserve long life? So because of that, they got, uh, they started beating up. So he quickly escaped and ran and climbed the tree to get a, to get away from them. And Omar Lay Rabbi Akiva called out to Rabbi Nachunya. Says, By the daily offering, why does it have to say one lamb? Just say keves, and I know it means one. So Omar Lahu, so Rabbi Nachunya said to his scholars, uh, to his uh, Servants, he realized once Rabbi Akiva asked this insightful question. Says, "He's a Talmud scholar. He's a he's a scholar. Leave him alone." So, uh, and then Rabbi Nachunya answered his question. What it means when it says keves echod, it doesn't mean one lamb. We already know one from keves. It means the best of its flock. 
Okay, so that's uh, the introduction. Okay, Rabbi Kiva said, why did you live so long? His students thought he was a little bit uh, jealous, resentful of Rabbi Nechunia, so they started uh, attack, or servants started attacking Rabbi Kiva. He got out of that, and now Rabbi Nechunia answers his question. He says, I never ever accepted a gift. I wasn't particular with what I deserved, with how people treated me. And I was... Um, uh, waived some of my money. Now it explains them. Loiko baltima nois ki hod Rebbe Lozar. I didn't receive gifts like Rebbe Lozar. Ki have mishtari le matonos mi bein asir when they were sending gifts from the Nossi's household. Lo have shokil would not accept them. Ki have mezamni le lo have ozul when they would invite them to come for a meal. The, the, when the house of the Nossi would invite Rebbe Lozar, he wouldn't go. Do you not want me to live to see as it's written? This is in Mishlei. Someone who hates gifts will live. Um, so there is some, there is some aspect, some uh, pious behavior that, or yeah, is that accepting gifts can diminish your life. And therefore, he was very particular to never accept gifts, never never accept a free lunch. says, When the house of the Nasi would send gifts to Rabbi Zaira, he wouldn't accept them. When he would invite, when they would invite him for lunch, he would go. He said, they are getting honored through me. I, very interesting. He's saying, Rabbi Zaira would say, me going to the house of the Nasi doesn't bring me honor. It brings them honor that they get to have, to invite the God of Ador, and therefore I can go. It's not a gift to me, it's a gift to them. And it says, he said, what, he said, I also I wasn't particular with my Midos. We'll see what that means. Anyone who waves his Midos, they wave, Shomayim will wave his sins. Um, what it seems to mean here is someone who's particular with what he deserves, you know, is, oh, someone was sitting in my seat, oh, they didn't give me the correct ali, you know, someone who's very, oh, look, they slighted my honor, they insulted me, someone who's very particular in those areas is the opposite of, we talking, he's like, okay, so they, they sat me a bit further back than I deserved, or, okay, so they didn't realize and they insulted me. Someone who's not so particular with his own, uh, what he views himself as deserving, that sort of person, Shomayim waves his sin. Shemar, as the Pasuk says, Hashem bears sin and he waves guilt. I'm just going to change the gears. For who do they wave their sins? For someone who bears sins against him. When people sin against him, he's not so particular about it. Um, this one we discussed at length in Rosh Hashanah when we we're discussing, when it's discussing there, um, how Hashem's judgment works and a way to get a good judgment. And the, the simple understanding of this is, remember, Shomayim, in a way, Shomayim's judgment reflects your behavior or reflects the way you, inter- reflects the way you interact with people and the environment around you. So if you're someone who's always very particular with everything that everyone does, to you, or you perceive it as against you, then heaven's going to be very particular with all the various, etc., that Chas a person does against them as a slight of honor to Shem Shemaim, those sort of things. But if you're like not so particular, oh, look, uh, okay, so they 
called me a funny name, not a big deal. So they didn't give me an aliyah, not such a big deal. Well, then Shomayim also has to treat you like that when they're judging you and have to waive some of your sins, saying, look, it's not such a big deal at the, in the end. Okay, Shol, another example. Shol, Rebbe, S, Rebbe, Yoshua, Ben Kocha. Rebbe asked Rebbe, Yoshua, Ben Kocha, but Marav to Yomim, what did you do to deserve a long life? So Amalei, Kotsasta B'chayei, drawn my life to end. I want have have you had enough of me being around? Is that why you're asking this question? So Amalei Rebbe, Torah Ulam Ulil Moed Ani Tzarech. No, I view it as Torah, and I want to learn it. I want to learn what uh, behaviors, what character traits, what mitzvahs to focus on. That's what I'm getting about. So Amalei Miomaylo Nistalki B'Demus Adam Rosha says, my whole life I was careful not to stare at the face of a Rosha. So Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, also Adam nistakel b'tzelim z'mus Adam Rosha. Rabbi Yochanan says a person is not allowed to look at the face of a Rosha. Shneimar, as the pasuk says. Now this is interesting. This is the prophet Elisha, Yehoshaphat, who was the king of Yehuda, who is pious, joined with Yehoram, who was the king of Israel, who was incredibly evil, um, to fight a war. And Elisha went to them and he says, Lulay If not for the fact that I could tolerate the presence of Yehoshaphat, the king of Yehuda, im would I even look at you? So we see, we see Elisha the prophet didn't want to look at the evil Yehoram. Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Lezer says, a different source, says, Ain of chaos, Yitzchak's eyes became dim, he became blind in his older age. And it says, When Yitzchak was elder, he, it became hard for him to see. Now, why is that? That's because he was often looking at Esav. Again, remember, Yitzchak didn't realize that Esav was evil and a Rosha. So he obviously looked at him. It was his son. He engaged with him. And because of that, he became blind. So now the Gemara asked, That's what caused it. We actually saw this a few days ago. Rabbi Yitzhak said a person shouldn't view the curse of a regular person, of a simple person, light in your eyes. Avimelech cursed Sarah and it took effect on her descendants. Shenemar, as the Posuk says, this is um, Avimelech to Sarah. Remember, he, Avram told her that it was his sister, so Avimelech took her and then a whole plague came to him and his um, household. And then he, when he was returning her to Avram, he said to her, with, he gave a gift, he said, This uh, money that I'm giving as a gift to Avram should be a garment of honor. It says, Rather read it as a cover for your ass. Kind of, I think, Avimelech was saying, like, you, uh, you misled me. You caused uh, blindness to me and I stumbled because of it in an Avera, or nearly did an Avera. You should also, um, ours should be covered. So that's what happened to Yitzchak. It was the curse of Avimelech. So Moran says, Hova ho Yeah, both caused it. It doesn't have to be one thing that causes it. It was the dual cause that made Yitzchak go blind. I think that's also important in our lives to realize. I mean, we've seen this phrase, Hova ho Gorma, a few times, but we're often quick to jump and attribute things to a specific event. We're very quick to jump and say what the cause and effect is. Sometimes it's a little bit more complex. Sometimes there's a double cause and effect. Sometimes we don't even see the... um, you know, sometimes it's two things that are making that event play out as it does, etc. Okay, Rava Omar, Mehacha, Rava says, I've got another source that you shouldn't look at a Rosha. As the Pasuk says, Eitz Rosha, lot of, to gaze at a Rosha is not good. 
Okay, Bashas Petirosa. This was when Rebbe was leaving Rebbe Shub and Karfa Amalei. Rebbe Barchaini said, Rebbe, give me a bracha. So Amalei, Yehiratzon Shetagia Lechetzi Yomai. You should live half as long as you should. Says so. He asks. He says, That's not a bracha. This is a lekula law. You don't want me to live a full length life. So Amalei, Haboy Machrecha Bahemayiro. If you live a full life. Those who, your descendants will have to be shepherds. I, you have to, a person can't live too old because they have to give the next generation the opportunity to shine and show their strengths and lead and take the, I mean, take the initiative. If you always have the elder sages, and I think it's probably in any field, but if you always have the previous generation around governing things and running things, the new generation never get a chance to step up. So he says, okay, if you want your descendants to be shepherds because they'll have no role because you'll be, I guess, dominating the Torah world, then uh, yeah, then live a full, a full measure. It says, he says, I should deserve, one said, I deserve reward for never looking at a non-Jew. And another said, no, I deserve long life for never getting into a partnership with a guy. Not sure exactly, unless maybe there's this aspect of a Russia. You shouldn't look at a Russia, so you shouldn't look at a non-Jew. The other one we know is, it's brought, you shouldn't get into business with a non-Jew because you're going to end up in a court case and he's going to swear by the names of his avoid Zorah. So you shouldn't get, but uh, either way, um, that's what they, um, oh, sorry, I skipped a whole lot. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, so th- that was their, uh, what they said they deserved reward for. I just think on the last one, it's quite interesting. I once remember reading, um, look, I haven't followed the history of science carefully, but I heard very often a new theory only really takes a doesn't take effect with the senior scientists. You kind of have to wait for all the scientists of that generation or the, the leaders, the leading scientists of that generation to either retire or die off before a new theory gets take gets well accepted. So even when you'll have some, uh, I guess, young, young, uh, what would you call it? Uh, a youngster, um, come up with this brilliant theory and it will explain away a lot of the problems that scientists have been running into, his theory won't be accepted because they've lived their whole lives and they've governed their whole lives by the rules and the theories and their understanding of how things work. And it's very, very hard for them to change their mind. So you need to wait for the youngsters to come in. But if you never have that older generation retiring, well, then the youngsters never have a a time to come in shine and, and, and bring in their innovations. I mean, that's, I'm not even saying with Torah that there should be innovations, but very interestingly, there is, an, there is a special aspect of when you see your kid, your children, or your Talmudim step up and fill, their, fill the roles as they need to. But if, you, if a person lives too long, they won't necessarily see that. Shalu Talmudim is Rebbe Zaira, but Marach the Yomim, the students asked Rebbe Zaira, what did you do to deserve long life? So, Amar Lehem, Yomai lo Yikpadeti Besoch Beisi, I never got angry at home. I never walked in front of someone who was greater than me. I never thought Torah in dirty alleys. That's very hard. Someone who's always thinking Torah to all of a sudden when he walks somewhere where it's dirty, there's urine or something, and he shouldn't be thinking, or extra man, he shouldn't be thinking about it to stop, but he was very careful with that. And I was 
on the, at, the, at the same note, I was very careful to never go without Torah or Loi Tefillin. So even though I was one of my middos that I was very particular with is to not stop thinking in Torah, when it came to a dirty maboy uh, alleyway, I was careful. Below your shanty base midrash, I never slept in, a, in the base midrash. Loishnei's keva, Loishnei sarai, neither temporary nor permanent. Sasti b'taklos chaveri. I never ever laughed or rejoiced at the loss of my friend. V'loi karasi lechevri b'chanicho v'loi v'onrilei b'chachinusa. I never ever called my friend by his nickname or by his surname. Um, obviously, a nickname. Well, we know if it's an insulting nickname, it's asur. Um, but if it's, but even then, it seems he was careful to call people by their real names. And not only that, he wouldn't call people by their surnames. Again, what's wrong with calling people by their surnames? That's a very common way amongst friends to call their other friends uh, by their surnames. You always hear, often here in the high school, the boys referring to each other by their surname, not by their actual name. Um, but maybe, maybe it's still an added level of respect is to refer to someone by their name, not by their surname. Um, and uh, and definitely, if it's a surname that came about through a insulting or uh, through an insulting aspect. Okay, let's go on to the new Mishnah, carrying on with the discussion of the kedusha of of a shul. So, odd Omer Rabbi Yehuda, based If you have a shul that's in ruins, it's not being used anymore. You still shouldn't give a hesped in it. Again, you don't give a hesbed in a shul out of covert for the shul. You don't twist ropes. You so spread out nets for traps in it. You don't spread out um, fruit to dry on the roof. You're not allowed to use it as a shortcut. As it says, I will make your holy places desolate. Desolate. We see that Kedusha stands even when they're desolate. And if grass grows in it, you shouldn't, you shouldn't pluck it. You should leave the grass to grow in the shul that's not in disuse because it causes distress to everyone. They'll daven for mercy and daven that the shul should return to its former glory. Um, so that's um, so. Yeah, so this is another thing that even when a shul is stopped, people stop using a shul. It uses the language of it's been destroyed. It seems uh, we're not necessarily discussing where it's actually destroyed. It's still there. But yeah, even if it's been destroyed, you shouldn't use it for careless work. It gave a list of examples of work. Rash explains it's any type of work. Just these, this, the work that it listed, for example, spreading out nets for traps or twisting ropes, is what you would need a large open. A large hall for so the shul is the perfect place to make ropes or to spread your nets i guess to tie them properly and check them but you're not allowed to do that in a shul even a shul that is not in use anymore There it says, but Tonara Bonan, a price that elaborates on the, along the lines of the Mishnah. But Ignatius, a noigamain kalus rosh. You're not allowed to act with lightheadedness in a shul. Now, the whole source for most of these halacha, the Mishnah Bura brings us at the beginning of Simon Kufnun Aleph 151, it says, Kalus rosh, ma'at. Shuls are called a migdash ma'at, a mini sanctuary. They're a mini base on migdash. 
It will be for you for a Migdash Ma'at. Over Migdash Ksiv, and regarding the base Amigdash, it is written, You shall fear, you shall show respect to my Migdash. That you should be in awe of the one who dwells there. So that's the, that's the source of these halachas of not being light-hearted, not being careless with the honor of a shul, is you should be in awe of the person who lives in a shul. Hashem, Hashem views shuls as many base amigdash, places where you should rest. So, you're not allowed to eat or drink in them. And you don't dress yourselves in them. Don't adorn yourself in them. You shouldn't just stroll around in them. Again, I think that's in just for fun. You've, you're waiting for your parents to fetch you from school and you go to the shul and you just walk around, you know, something when, don't know, it's not that example, it's not relevant to any of us, but you just w- wander around the shul for the sake of just walking around. Sorry. You're not allowed to go into the shul to protect yourself from the sun or to protect yourself from the rain. You're not allowed to give a hesped for a regular person. You are allowed to read psukim and learn mishnah in them. I, even though specifically for davening, you are allowed to read and learn in them. And you can give a public hesped. What does a public hesped mean? So Rashi explains, a hesped where one of the great rabbis are involved, once it's a hesped that a Tamur Chochom is involved, then many, many people join and you're allowed to have it in the shul. When does all this apply? When the shul is settled, when it's in use. When they, once the shul is in disuse, it's in ruin, then you leave it and you let grass grow, and you don't pick the grass. So, for the, so that it causes the anguish, the aggravation to people, and then they'll dive in for the shul to be restored. Why is Rabbi Yehuda coming on to grass? Uh, we listed a whole lot of things you're not allowed to do in shul, and Rabbi Yehuda said, when is this? When it's a settled shul, but when it's a disrupted, when it's a shul in ruins, then you leave grass to grow. What's, it sounds a bit out of context. So he says, It is missing a portion, and this is how you should read it. You sweep and you spr- sprinkle the water. You keep the floor of the shul nicely. So that grass doesn't grow. You want to, again, remember their shuls were more just structures out in the fields. So very likely not real floors. So very easy for grass and stuff to grow. But you keep it neat. You make sure that it doesn't grow. And Om Rebuda says that specifically when it's in use. You leave it for grass to grow. You don't pick it. For the distress that it causes people, and then they'll dive in for it to be rebuilt. Then he says, Rebiasi says, It's a very famous teaching, quite a big discussion exactly how to apply it, but he says, The shuls in Babel are built on condition. I condition that you can do other things with them. says, But you're still not allowed to treat them lightly. Or my knee, what does it mean, treat it lightly? 
Never mind discussing joking or playing tricks or something like that. Says Cheshbonos, even doing a calculations, accounts or something like that in it would consider treating it lightly. Um, Tosos here says, what does it mean that you don't that they built on Tanai and therefore you can do whatever you want in them? Says that's obviously when they've gone into disuse, when they ruined. But while that's when we're talking about, once it's destroyed, then the condition kicks in and you can do what you want in it. And he says, and this is all in Bavel. He has Tosos adds a second point. He says this is all in Bavel because at hopefully soon, and we can say the same thing in South Africa. Grant, we have these beautiful shuls and we love them. Hopefully soon we'll all be in Eretz Yisrael. So the shuls in the Golos are actually built with a temporary nature. In Eretz Yisrael, this would never, you can't build a shul al You can't use a shul al because it's of a permanent nature. The Jews will always be there. And then he says, um, and that's what he says, and even though, even though the shuls are built al while they stand, you're still not allowed to treat it lightly even for things that aren't necessarily too disrespectful, for example, doing accounts in it. That's, again, it's not like you're running around, it's not like you're playing jokes or messing around, it's you sitting down and doing accounts, you might, it might even be the shul's accounts, I mean, you can discuss if it's for a mitzvah, maybe you would be allowed to do it, don't know where the shul's account, but you sit down and do accounts, it's not such a degrading practice, Still, even though the shul is built out tonight on condition that you can do what you want with it, that condition only kicks in when the shul is in ruins. A shul that they do calculate accounts in it, you should leave the mace in it overnight. Why should you have to leave a mace in a shul, a corpse in a shul that they kept, uh, that they did accounts in? So he says, no, just don't. Just don't put the mace in. Okay. It sounds like he's saying that if you do accounts in the shul, then you should put the mace overnight. It's no elelasov shalinu bo mace mitzvah. No, at the end, they will have to use it as a, as a mortuary for a mace mitzvah, someone who has no one to bury it or whatever. I, if you use the shul disrespectfully, even for these minor aspects of disrespect, you're going to end up having to use it as like a, um, what's it called, a, a mortuary overnight sometimes. Um, there's a big discussion because I don't know. You, I'm sure you've come across there's certain shuls where they have the bracha in the shul, and how do they do that? How do they work it out? They they finish with the davening and then they set up the tables to have the bracha there. How are you allowed to do that? And when are you allowed to do that? That's part of this discussion of having a shul al tonight. But let's carry on. Ain't no sin You're not allowed to adorn yourself in it. So you can't walk into shul and then start putting on your tar. Rava says that the, the sages and their students are allowed to. As we, because why is it called the Bay Rabbonin? Beisad Rabbonin. The Yeshiva Shul is the house of the Rabbis. It's their home. It's where they spend their whole day. So therefore they would be allowed to. Always remember someone, um, and I think that was obviously the good guideline. I can remember my grandfather would be sitting in the basement from from uh, after his breakfast till till just before Mincha. And he would obviously in the hotter days especially be sitting without his tie. And just before Mincha he would go and put on his tie. So how could he do that? No, someone whose home is the shul, who's the yeshiva, is his home. It's where he spends his whole day, his whole morning. Then he would be allowed to. 
to protect you from the sun or the rain. They were standing and asking questions of Rav. started to pour. They went into Shul and Omri they qualified. We weren't going into the shul to escape the rain. Don't get the wrong idea. You need a clear thought when you're discussing Torah. A clear mind. And if we're standing out there in the pouring rain, we can't think clearly. So we went into shul to be able to have our Torah discussion better, but not to escape the rain. I mean, interesting. We even see that even you, it would be problematic to say, you know what? To a degree. Again, this would be pious practice. But to say, you know what? It's pouring. I'm going to go back in shul and learn. That would be a problem because then you're going into, again, as I said, that would be allowed because at the end of the day, you're going into the shul to use it to learn. But from the aspect of you going into the shul to escape the rain is a problem. They didn't go into shul to escape the rain. Their motivation to go into shul was to be able to learn better. What do you do if you need to go call someone out of shul? Happens now and then. Your friends in shul, you need to speak to them outside of shul. Or you see a mother needs to call her husband out of shul to go help with the kid, you know, or to go home. Something like that. What do you do when you need to call someone out of shul? If he's a Talmud scholar, then walk into shul and say a halacha so that you're using it also for a... For a... Dovo Shebikdusha, not just for your personal to go in and call someone you're also using it to learn if he's a third person who learns Mishnah let him say Mishnah if he's a knows Psukim let him say a Posuk if he doesn't know how to say anything let him ask a child to tell him a Posuk or he can just remain there a little and get up and leave. I and they explain because the Bible says, Happy are those who stay in your house. I, it's a mitzvah to just be in a shul. So just sitting in a shul is a mitzvah. So if you go into the shul to call someone and you're not able to say psukim or learn a little or do something like that, sit down, remain a few moments and then go call him. We said in a shul you allowed it to a hesped for the rabbim. What do you mean by hesped the rabbim? I don't know if it's a hesped that Rav Chizda's hand signaled the, the sort of hesped where Rav Sheshes would be. And Rav Sheshes hand signaled the sort of hesped where Rav Chizda would be. According to Rashi it seems to be saying if like one of their family members were niftar, so they would be there, a huge Talmud Chochum, and everyone would be flocking to the hesped, the eulogies of this Talmud Chochum's family, that's when you can use a base knesses or a base midrash for the hespedim. Raphram did the eulogy for his daughter-in-law in the shul. Due to my honor, because yeah, in honor for me and in honor of the deceased, that's why everyone's coming. But again, it's for the Talmud Chochom Raphram. Rabbi Zayra Safdei Lehumi Rabbonu Bebeik Nishta Omar Imi Shum Yekoridi Di Imi Shum Yekoridi Day Demaisu Asu Kuli Alma Diday Demisa Asu Kuli Alma. Rabbi Zayra gave a eulogy for a scholar in the shul, and he said it's either they're coming for my honor or they're coming for the honor of the deceased. But that's fine to have it in the shul then. 
Um, Reish Lokish gave a eulogy for a, a, a Tzubin Rabbonin means a young scholar, a yeshiva bocha, who used to often frequent Eretz Yisrael, and he learned halachas in the 24th row. Or he taught halachas to 24 rows of students. And Omar Vaychasra Ared Yisrael Gabarabba woe to Eretz Yisrael that has lost the land of, of Israel that has lost such a great person. Now, the, there are different ways of looking at it, but either way, it seems he wasn't the most established Talmud Chochem. Tani Hilchasa means that he taught halachas by rote. He wasn't like a, a huge Talmud Chochem that knew the deeper understandings and knew how to learn Gomorrah. He taught Mishnah. He was a Mishnah teacher. He just rattled. Uh, Mishnah is very straightforward, point by point. So he just said like that, many halachas, but not with a deep explanation. So he wasn't such a great Talmud Chochem. And yet, look how Reish Lakish eulogized him. There was this person who knew how all the halachas, the Mishnah, the Sifra, Sifri, and Tosefta, other compendiums of halachas by the Tanoim. The Shriv and he died. Also, they came to Ramnachman and said, Will you give so and so eulogy? So, Omar, what eulogy can I give him? He's just a basket full of. Of books that we lost. I, I mean, Rav Nachman was being quite harsh, but it's an important point. He's saying, just knowing how to say Mishnahs is, doesn't make your town Chochem. You're just a basket of books. To integrate it into your mind, you have to be able to analyze it, to debate it, to discuss it, to compare the different topics, cross-reference, etc. You have to be able to understand it. That's a town Chochem. He's saying, I can't. Look at the difference between the arrogant ones of Eretz Yisrael and the Hasidim of Babel. Rav Nachman was a Hasid of Babel, and he still, when they came to ask him to eulogize his God, who knew, he knew a lot. He had a lot of knowledge. Mishnah, Sifri, Sifrot, Tosefta. Rav Nachman was like, not a chance. He's nothing special. He doesn't know how to analyze it. Um, but when they went to Reish Lakish, he was known as the arrogant one of Eretz Yisrael. The reason Rashi reminds us is because he used to, he would never just talk to anyone. Because if someone saw Reish Lakish chatting to someone, they took it as a vouch for his uh, integrity. So Reish Lakish was very careful not to talk to just anyone because he didn't want people lending money to people because he had had a conversation with it and then they wouldn't pay it back. So therefore Reish Lakish was known as the arrogant one. And look how kind he was, someone who just knew Mishnayos. He came and gave them a wonderful eulogy. Um, okay, I think we'll leave it there for today. I was hoping to get a bit further, but we'll continue tomorrow.